Kia ora, and welcome to the Story Hub podcast, helping you live smarter and be inspired by the journeys of successful Kiwi professionals. We believe you can learn from others' mistakes and achievements, and that what is possible for your life is greater than you currently imagine. My name is Kathan, your host and creator of the Story Hub. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. This week we have Leonard Gardner, the CEO and owner of Foster Construction, based here in the Waikato. After leaving school to work with KPMG, Leonard tried his hand in construction as an accountant, becoming Young Chartered Accountant of the Year in New Zealand. Leonard has led Fosters through strong sustainable growth, completing many large projects, including a five Green Star rated building the size of six rugby fields near Cambridge. Leonard also owns Anthem Homes, a residential construction company completing around 30 homes a year. If you're interested in growing your leadership and dealing with the pressures of early success in your career, this conversation is for you. I hope you're ready to learn. Let's jump into episode two of season two on the Story Up podcast. It's not every day you go, oh sweet, I get to go and build incredible things for the community, build in such a large company and start from where you started. I love your story and it's a privilege to have you on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Um, So how about, yeah, how far listeners understand a bit more? <clears throat> what exactly do you do now and um, what company do you work for? Right. So my, my main day job, I'm the um, CEO of uh, the Foster Construction Group, which is based here in the Waikato. And we've, we cover the Waikato and Bay of Plenty. Um, so the Foster Construction Group, employ about 180 people. We've got um, four different business units, um, being a development company, um, a construction company, a maintenance company, and an engineering company. And we guess our purpose is, um, is great communities through strong foundations, mm. which sort of really resonates with me. But that's sort of what I do now, but it's sort of been a bit of a journey to get here. Mm, for sure. Interesting. So what's your role at the um, Fosters? So I'm, I'm the chief executive officer, so the CEO. But I'm also a um, director and a shareholder of the yeah. group as well. Mm, that's really cool. So to understand a bit more about that, because that's not every day you get to go, hey, I'm <laughs> chief executive. But I, I crack up because you're so you're the most reluctant CEO I think I've ever met. <laughs> um, so I'd like to understand, yeah, wh- where did you start from? So you went to high school at... Yeah. So I, I my family moved to Hamilton when I was 13 from Rindaburra. Yep. Um, and I went to Hamilton Boys High, so mm. I was there for um, from ninety one to ninety five, and left at the beginning of ninety five. It was actually um, I responded to a daily notices at the beginning of the seventh form. I was back in the seventh forms back then, um, and the daily notices there was a, a role there for an after school career run, and I was just keen to earn a little bit more money. So I turned up to the careers advisor, and he said to me, "So I guess you're here for the accounting cadetship," and I said to him. Uh, yep. <laughs> wasn't wasn't too sure. I'd always wanted to be a um a photographic journalist for National Geographic, actually. Interesting. So um so I sort of just said yes and ended up with an interview that was on the Monday and um on the Wednesday I had an interview up at Asset um, Recruitment, which was owned by um KPMG, and then on Thursday I had a phone call from um the recruitment agency. Saying that um, I was, you know, they would like to employ me as a accounting cadet at KPMG, and um, so I turned up to work to school on Friday, thinking, my goodness, I'm not going to be here next week. Wow. So it happened all very, very quickly, um, <laughs> and I had no intention of being an accountant, but it was, um, it's worked out really, really well. 
So I sort of went from there and went up to KPMG and spent the first three months doing document storage and, and data entry and studied part-time at Wintech. Um, and while I was there, I sort of decided actually it's probably, you know, once I got out of document storage, it was a pretty good place to learn and to sort of build a build a career mm. and understanding finances and accounting was a really good way to to do that. So after a couple of years, I sort of determined I wasn't going to be in, you know, within the chartered accountancy environment forever. Um, it suits some people, probably not so much others, but it was a really good place to to learn. So I set about learning as much as I could. And I figured that by qualifying as a chartered accountant, I'd always be able to fall back on that skill set mm. no matter what happened in my career. But after that um, couple of years, I decided what I really wanted to do was get into business and own my own business. And you know, as I say, all I needed to do was learn as much as I could in that time and then to go and find my find the right business. Mm, Interesting wow. so far? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a um, whole lot of planning as you jump into KPMG. Yeah. That's so interesting. So had you done accounting before that or was that a... Yeah. yeah. So I did already accounting at school and I did it in fifth form and I came top in sixth form. Um, but that's only because the really smart people were doing seventh form accounting in ah, <laughs> yes, a year ahead. So I was sort of the, the smartest of the dumb people. Um, for want of a better term, <laughs> um, which is probably a little bit cruel, probably to myself and to others. But um, so I was, I was, I was okay with it. Um, I'm still not a, you know, an amazing accountant or anything, but I, I do certainly understand, I think I understand business concepts pretty well and understand mm. strategy, which is sort of what's got me through my, my career pretty well. For sure. So you were with KPMG for a bit there. What were, and you said you were at the learning, which I think is so Definitely critical, especially um, for us young professionals and um, uni students as we go out into that. What were those things you learned in those like starting years that you were like, okay, this is actually helpful even today? Yeah. I oh, I learned the um, value of relationships mm. and the value of connections. Um, I watched the partners pretty closely and there's some pretty, you know, some people I really respect as partners of KPMG and um, just watched the relationships they had with their clients and a lot of their clients, long-term clients are really good friends as well. Uh, so for me, that was quite an important thing is that actually you know, relationships is the foundation of business and how you treat people um, is really important. But also it's not, you can have a business relationship and you're also you can have a friendship and the two mm. the, the two can be intertwined. And um, probably the big thing about KPMG um, was you know, the ability to help people sort of with their business and then with their finances um, was, was really good. Um, some, some of the stuff I didn't find so exciting was some of that more sort of mundane routine stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I do struggle to stay on task sometimes, but um, I certainly learned a lot about a lot of businesses there. Um, the partner I worked for, Bruce Sheridan, a um, man I really respect, he um, taught me plenty of things. Um, one of the most important things he taught me was that money follows doing business well. So focus on doing the business well and you'll make money. The money will follow. Mm. If you focus on the money, you'll just destroy relationships and you know, the business won't grow as you as you hope for. Hope for. Mm. Oh, that sounds like a pretty special time. I love that advice, actually. It's about more about the people and more about actually making sure the business as an organization <clears throat> is doing well rather than actually nailing every single dollar. Yeah, indeed. So it really, it really is about you know, focusing on doing business well. Mm. Is what the what the game plan's been, and it's focusing on doing business well as, as a matter of focusing on people, focusing on serving and helping. Is probably my my approach to how I do things in the community and how I do things in business. Yeah. So after that time in KPMG, where did you move on to? Yeah. So I um so I was at KPMG for eight years. So 
it took me four and a half years to do my degree through WinTech part-time and then a couple of years to do my um, become a chartered accountant on top of that. Um, and then I was bonded to KPMG for a year. I didn't want to pay anything back, so I, I worked at that period. Um, but then I decided you know, I wanted to own my business. But before I did that, I decided I needed to actually go and work for a corporate first just to get a, a bit of a sense of you know what is this big mm. business. And probably at an, account- an accountancy firm, you've got a number of clients to keep happy. Whereas I was pretty keen just to focus on, in on, um, on one business and just sort of apply my skills into there. Yeah. So I just applied for four jobs out of the Waikato Times um, at the time, and the one at Foster's paid the most. <laughs> so I went, with, I went with that one, and I guess my impressions of Foster's were that we that they were you know, a large corporate. Um, sort of once I got in there, I realised they weren't quite as large a corporate as I as I had anticipated. Yeah. Um, but it was still a good place to learn and and, and grow. Mm, so how big was Foster's at the time? Yeah, so the previous financial year, so it was back in 2003, so that financial, previous financial year, they had a branch in Auckland and a branch in Hamilton, and sort of the combined turnover of the two was $28 million. Mm. Sweet. So you started in Foster's and obviously somehow <laughs> ended up as um, CEO. So I know, though, that that's not actually the straight path that happened. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I was there for... Um, I was employed as a company accountant, so I was there for about three months, and I sort of did went in with sort of all guns blazing as I, as I tend to do, and um, transformed a few things and got a few systems and things nailed pretty quickly, and then started to get a little bit bored actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> three months, man. <laughs> just sort of focus on the on the accounting stuff and sort of got all my jobs done pretty quickly, and um, I I said to the guys, well, you know, would you mind if I went and helped another friend as well? So I ended up working for another friend of mine sort of two days a week and being three days a week at Foster's. So that went on for like that for about um, three months. I had my friend out and kept Foster ticking. And um, then after about three months, the another three months, the guys from Foster's came back and said, well, instead of just being the company accountant, why don't you become the commercial manager? So looking after all the business affairs, so looking after all the HR and the marketing and sort of the legal matters, sort of everything that really wasn't wasn't building. Uh, which would had been done by one of the other partners to a degree, so I um I said yep sounds good so I came back sort of full time into Fosters, and um and focused on on doing that, which was good, and you know I hadn't really been involved with other things before but it was a good way to get really understand the business, so I did work on a couple of interesting things. So one one of the things I did pretty early on was that I um we had the Auckland branch and the Hamilton branch they weren't being monitored separately. So that it was all being consolidated into one sort of profit and loss. But I could tell from looking at different jobs that Auckland wasn't going as well as it could do yeah. or should do. In fact, it was losing losing quite a lot of money. Mm. Um, so one of my first jobs I did was I separated off Auckland from Hamilton and um, and then sort of highlighted, highlighted this fact and instead of set about trying to help Auckland sort of become profitable. Mm. Um, so And... Sort of wasn't that sick. We had a few jobs that just didn't go very well. Let's put it that way. Went through a few restructures and things. And it was, it was a pretty challenging time for us. I was probably 26 at the time. And it was probably there I learned about people. You know, people are important, but also it's, it's actually more important to have a sustainable business. And you've got to make some pretty tough decisions. So that was so that was going along. And um Hamilton was going going along really well. Um, 
and after a couple of years, I actually turned up to talk to the, a couple of the partners and said, hey, you know, when I, and at the interview, I said to them I was probably there for two years and I wanted to own my own business. So after two years, I turned up to them and said, hey, I think it's time for me to, to move on and go and buy my own business. I hadn't, didn't have any idea what I was going to do at that stage. Um, and they said, well, why don't you buy into Foster's? So I sort of thought about that for a second. I thought, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did do it on the condition that we, we closed down Auckland, though. Interesting. Which was um, which was probably pretty arrogant and um, self-righteous thing for me to say as a, about a 26, 27-year-old. Mm. And they said, well, that's fine because you know, they were pretty attached to it because they'd invested a lot of money into it. I said, if, if that's the case, you know, you go and close Auckland down. So I had to wow. go up there and sort of effectively lay off about 15 people, you know, fairly senior people and from Auckland and say they were closing the branch and then sort of help manage down a couple of jobs we were doing up there. So that was quite a quite a big um, learning curve and wasn't wasn't that pleasant to be mm. a part of, but you know, really learning curve and, and it was the right thing to do, even though it was a, a hard thing. So that has been a bit of a lesson for me. Yeah. You know, going forward is that actually you do have to make hard calls to move things forward and overall sustainability is more important than sort of that individual, you know, individual people actually having something that's going to be sustainable for a long time is for me is the reason why i'm in business mm, more of the legacy mindset rather than yeah mm. yeah but it's not about the short profit or or just you know working forever trying to make something work that's never going to work it's actually about um you know moving things forward in a sustainable manner mm. man that's a tough thing to do especially at that young age like under 30 and having to do that how do you think that event, being so early on in your career, shape your later decisions? Other than like, so sustainable business, yeah. understanding that. How did that change your the way you interact with people? Because I know you're such a people-oriented man. Yeah, I'm, I'm known for being reasonably people-orientated. I am an introvert by trade. Um, but probably it was there that I realised you couldn't be hard-nosed you know, I was I was reasonably direct and sort of said exactly what I thought, but um, I actually had to learn how to to moderate myself a little bit. Mm. And because actually, when you talk about when, when you're hard on people, it's actually the words you say. Often yeah. it's not your actions; it's actually your words that you use that are hard mm. on people. It's the expectations you set on others. Um, so I I had to learn a little bit about that. Um, I'm still f- far from perfect, <laughs> 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 but um, but people are the, are the most yeah you know, people are the most important thing. Mm, wow. So after, after um, yeah, coming on and closing Auckland branch, like how did your next bit of the career go? Yep. So I was so I was the commercial manager of Fosters, and it was it was good. So we um, got involved in quite a large job at um, Spring Hill Prison, um, and that was um, what they called a collaborative working arrangement with the government. And that probably accounted for half of our turnover. So Foster's turnover had gone up to about fifty million at this stage, sort of oh, wow. about three years later. So it'd been quite a quite a big growth from twenty eight million for sure. Um, so that went along pretty well. Probably one of the biggest learnings when I became when I actually became a shareholder and had things invested in here into it um, is my mindset changed in terms of I used to look at everything very closely from a, a dollars perspective. Um, Probably the most most scary thing was um, becoming a, a shareholder. I had to sign personal guarantees with banks and what have you. Yeah, and I, I did go into a bit of a spiral downwards, sort of just this whole 
what if Foster's failed? You know, what would I, you know, A, I'd be a failure um, mm. and um, I'd lose my house, you know, with my family leave me. So actually this was back in 2007, 2006, 2007. So it's actually a pretty, really tough year. Sort of, it's one thing to be employed by someone, it's something else to be an owner, you know, even though I was only sort of 10% of the time um, and be responsible, you know, feel, feel the responsibility of keeping Foster's going, which wasn't my sole responsibility to bear. Yeah. Um, but I took it on as my mm. sole responsibility, and I there's this real fear of failure. So during that year, I through a number of events, I managed to to conquer that, which sort of reset my mindset. So I went from being afraid to sort of buy a set of uh, can of baked beans at the supermarket for for lunch, um, to having a bit more confidence myself. And part of that was winning the um, 2007 Young Chartered Accountant of the Year awards. Oh wow! Yes. Um, which was um, I was more surprised than anyone else, <laughs> but it was that isn't that that I sort of gave me a bit of confidence that I must be doing some things okay, mm. and sort of um, yeah, it gave me a chance to reflect on on the past and my journey, and actually to also to sort of look forward about what I wanted to do. Mm, I think that's actually so <clears throat> true of many young professionals. I can hear so many listeners going, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> I I feel that." right now are there any words you'd like to say of like how did you, you get through it and what advice would you give to them of those people who are just really beating themselves up a bit yeah i think it's pretty probably calling things out for what, what it was and it, there was a real a fear of failure mm. and it was fear of failure of reputation you know fear of failure from being a chartered accountant you know just failure of everything um and it was actually it was a bit of a, a bit of a spiritual process, I guess, in a lot of the terms, in terms of going into a bit of depression, but that opportunity to stop, reflect, um, and actually, I had to strip back everything that actually, if I if I did if I did fail, um, it wouldn't be because I didn't give it ever given my all, mm. and if I did lose my house as a result of it, actually, it wouldn't define me. Um, if you know, I hope my family doesn't leave, but you know, if my family was to leave, actually, I'd still be complete as a person. I've got, yep. a, I've got a Christian faith I rely yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So that's um for me is you know I'm I'm loved and created by God, and actually that's enough. And everything else above that is a blessing. And that's probably what I learned is that everything else above that is a blessing. So I had to for me to get through that, I had to strip everything back, and out of that, I got a whole lot of confidence um, because I don't I don't fear failure anymore. Um, I don't mm. fear losing. I don't fear you know being part of a business deal and losing anything. A yep. lot of people do. Actually, I don't actually mind. Mm. Um, it's, it's it can be annoying, but actually, it doesn't define me. Yeah. So I, I do give everything my best that I've got. So mm, I love that. It's almost like, and yeah, we both share the Christian faith, and it's fully that thing of actually our identities in God rather than in the results and what we actually do. Yep. How has your faith affected other areas <laughs> of your work and career? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Kathan. Um Probably, if I, if I think about Fosters in particular, um, probably my journey in terms of leadership there, um, dealing with people, but probably even more importantly, setting the purpose for Fosters. Mm. So our purpose is, is great communities through strong foundations. And um, the great communities part really for me speaks to love your neighbour as yourself, which is one of the great commandments. So for me, it's you know being in community, um, serving people, looking after people, helping people, 
that's actually for me that is the fundamental part of what fosters is yeah we build buildings and yeah we do some do some i think we do some pretty cool stuff around the place but fundamentally it's actually about creating places for people to you know to enjoy each other's company to learn to conduct business to worship um mm. to um you know schools all that sort of stuff so it's actually it's a it's pretty pretty cool mm. so for me what i do on a daily basis is actually about just living out that you know loving my neighbor Mm. sort of sort of concept um through the skills and the resources that i've got yeah well that's real cool i love it how it affects your leadership too because it isn't unfortunately it isn't the um normal sometimes in workplaces of managers aren't always known for being the people that actually care so was that culture something that you personally really set the example for and saw and fosters grow or is that something that was already there that you came into um there was an element there already um probably one of the, one of the early marketing pieces that we did um the person who was a friend of mine who put together the marketing came up with a concept which is a stephen covey one which is we begin with the end of mind mm. and that became fosters sort of catchphrase which is you know we begin with the end of mind and and the story around that is that you know a guy walking down a street and sees a couple of guys laying bricks on the side of the road and says to the first guy, "What are you doing?" And the guy says, "You know, are you, I'm, are you blind? I'm laying some blocks. That's my job. I'm just laying some blocks." And um, he goes, "Oh yeah." He goes to the second guy and says the same thing. You know, what are you doing? He's doing exactly the same job as the other guy. And the other guy says, "Well, I'm, I'm laying the foundation for a church in which you know, people are going to worship for the next thousand years." Mm. So two people doing the same job but different perspectives. Yeah. So it's um yeah that's that was quite an important story that I said told many many times at Fosters about actually when we're doing things for people let's understand what it's, this um this is going to be used for. It's not just about you know laying concrete or putting out precast panels or structural steel or um, putting doors in place. Actually, we're creating a, a habitat or we're creating something for someone to work in or enjoy or learn in. Um, so that's that's what we need to focus on. Mm, I think that definitely, like that whole legacy mindset, brings in all those like classic corporate values of excellence and like um, integrity, but actually gives it purpose rather yeah. than a cute catchphrase. I like it. Yeah, mm. I do think I do think purpose is is really really important in business. So it's probably one of my things over the particularly over the last three or four years. Probably longer than that, but it's really crystallised over the last probably three or four years. Mm. At Fosters, is actually providing a really firm purpose for us to be, and actually committing sort of resources and time to it. Mm. For um, your career, then we're we're here, and you've been commercial manager for a bit. You got that um, chartered accountant, young chartered accountant of the year, which is pretty exciting. What happened next? Yeah, so look, I I, I held on to the commercial manager title for a long time. Um, and it was probably more by more by choice because for me it was a nice vague title that didn't elevate me to a position that um that where CEO does have that um sort of I call it a stigma that goes with it and expectation mm. that goes with it and responsibility that goes with it. Um, and it wasn't until actually last year in May, um, we had a, all the shareholders got together and had a, a planning meeting down in Nelson, and um, one of the outcomes there. Um, was they they said to me, can you actually become the CEO and and lead this thing properly, <laughs> rather than sort of trying to duck for cover all the time? Yeah, um, yeah, I guess I sort of saw my role as 
as setting strategy and I guess I'm a little bit of the front face of Fosters, but I, I tried, always tried to step back from being the leader of Fosters, um, but I always seem to slip into it, <laughs> slip back into it. But um, they actually said, hey, you need to step up and do that properly. So I, I you use the term reluctant CEO. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've liked to, well, I was a little bit reluctant to take it over, take it on in terms of a title. Um, even though my job, actually, what I was doing didn't change that much. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's been a good thing. It's been an evolution of my mindset, sort of yeah. adapting to the adapting to that title, um, because it does come with different connotations and expectations. Why are we so like okay, okay? I'll find okay. I'll do this. I'll take the title. Like, why were you that? I'm um, so hesitant. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's it's probably pride, to be honest, um, and it's almost reverse pride. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe arrogance. Interesting. What do you mean by that? So, is it the oh, I don't need the title or that? Yeah, there's a bit of that. I don't I don't need the title in order to have the influence that I've got. I was comfortable with what I what I had there. Um, it is interesting to note that having got the title, there is actually more influence that comes with the title, um, which I didn't I didn't expect at all. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was probably just that. Yeah, probably that I didn't I didn't think I needed the title in order to sort of lead lead Fosters to a degree. Mm. And for me, it sort of gave me a little bit of an escape if things wasn't quite yeah. going yeah. going right, or if I needed to sort of pull back or. I always used to say that it was like I was with my boys and I saw a guy from school and he was he was working in a you know, good guy, he was working at Rebel Sports and we had a bit of a chat. We hadn't seen each other since school, but it was, it was good to have a, have a quick chat. And I yeah. said to him, I'm the commercial manager at Foster's and oh yeah, da da da. And Wayne and, and my son um, Barrack said to me, well, why don't you just tell him that you're that, like you run Foster's and that you're the owner of it? I said, well, if I told him that, I'll probably, he probably would have switched off. You know, As soon as I said that, I sort of, would have felt like I've been peaking myself a step above him. Mm. But I don't feel that now. I can feel I can tell people that I'm a CEO and I don't feel like I'm a step above anyone. It's just everyone's created the same. Mm, so it's almost your internal mindset shift oh, which totally. actually helped. Yeah. Oh, that's so fascinating. So how have you changed then? You've been a while into the title and like yeah. not exactly going through the easiest time as well <laughs> with COVID-19. Yeah. How have I changed? Oh, look, it's a, it's been an evolution of change from the beginning, and I'm sure there's plenty of evolutions of change to come, Kathan. Um, so, look, I like to, I like to think I'm a little bit less about myself and more about others, but then I, I catch myself being arrogant, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I, I sort of keep have to keep challenging myself. You know, to actually, you know, you know, you know, more important than anyone else. Mm. Actually, you've got your jobs even your job is important though to make sure you support others and to help others and lift others up. That's, that's really the, the core part of my role is that sort of servant leadership. That's what I try and demonstrate, but as I say, sometimes I catch myself up being a little bit arrogant. So so I think that's, I know for me personally, it's something I definitely struggle with is that actual constant looking at it. I'd love to know how do you like keep your, check your heart really, how do you keep yourself there so you don't become too arrogant? How do you can constantly make sure you're staying humble? Yeah. Look, there's, there's a massive piece in that um, self-awareness. So I know mm. it's, um, it's quite a quite a big topic. That's, there's plenty of courses on self-awareness, but for me, it is, a, it is a journey of self-awareness. 
and that self-awareness has been able to just monitor your speech as you're, as you're talking, um, reflect on conversations you've had um, without beating yourself up. I've learned that's important too. Mm. So I beat myself up plenty of times um, from saying dumbass stuff. Um, there's, there's watching people's reactions around you and then sort of just doing a bit of evaluation. Is it what have I, is it something I've said? Is it something I've spoken into something and actually the, the ground I'm speaking into isn't very fertile? Yeah. As in the person's life, or they've, you know, maybe it's there's rocks there because they've, um, because they've got a marriage breakup happening, or where kids yeah. are gone. Hey, well, there's I've, what I've learned is there's everyone's comes from a different background and has a different ability to take things on as well. So mm. you can't expect everyone to be operating at 100% top form all the time because actually they're, they're living a life, yeah, <laughs> they're living real lives, you know. Yeah, mm, it's almost that paying attention. To how you affect other people while being aware of their environmental circumstances that they're in. Yeah. So you don't take everything to heart, but still can learn. Actually, that's an important part is not taking things to heart too much. So definitely leading with heart, but not taking everything to heart mm. because actually that just that, that drives you down, and you you can't deal with everyone's individual issues. Yes, yeah, and true you can't point. you can't. Yeah, it's just my mind isn't big enough, or having enough capacity to. To deal with everyone individually, you've got to deal with people as, as a group. Mm. I like. I'd actually like to know more about that. From like, how do you keep that balance? Because something you mentioned as well, being in the Auckland, um, closing the Auckland branch at Fosters, and again now, and I think it's actually something people definitely struggle with. Like, and <laughs> um, we'll link it to uh, to the show notes. But in our um, first episode with Celia Austin, she talked about taking criticism seriously and not personally. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and how do you actually keep that balance of not taking things too hard but at the same time leading with heart. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good question. You know, I, I'm a reasonably, I don't show it too often, but I'm a reasonably emotional person. So you do tend to take things in, but I, I guess I've, I've adapted, particularly around criticism, I've sort of adapted a bit and I've actually decided that in, in every bit of criticism there's actually some truth. Mm. And so if you, if you adapt it that way, rather than criticism being straight at you sort of trying to attack you if you take it on board as actually construct everything everything you receive even if it's the most direct you know feedback um is actually constructive in some ways mm. and there's probably a kernel of truth in there and i guess i see it on my job is to try and well what is that kernel of truth that that, that is in there that sort of causes person to say this or or do this to me and by it's always almost sort of deflects the directness of it and gives you time to sort of process and think about it yeah, that always learning from it, no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm, awesome, sweet. So this is what gets me <laughs> every time when I think about you, Leonard, is the fact that it's not just Fosters that you do. So we've said all this, and it's been real fascinating for me personally anyway, and like, but you do more. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what are those other things like Anthem Homes and when, how did you start Anthem Homes and get into that? <laughs> right. I didn't, didn't actually start Anthem Homes. Um, I had a, a guy I went through youth group with and I sort of ran into him who'd started it and um, ran into him probably, I think it was 2012. Um, and he was, he'd done, he'd gone from being a, a carpenter to a labour-only builder to building houses and was, was finding things a bit stressful. So offered to sort of catch up with him and um, and bounce some ideas around and just, just sort of try and help out where I, where I could 
do like to help people, Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he said to me, look, you know, why don't you buy into this thing um, and you know, actually hold me to account in the process. And um, he's, he's a very, very smart guy um, and you know, very entrepreneurial. So I, s- I said, no, look, I don't think that's a very good idea. You know, this thing about not getting into business with friends and things. <laughs> um, but um, eventually, after a couple of a period of time, he sort of convinced me that it was a good idea. So I bought in, bought in a percentage into that, and sort of a journal journey together for a while um, on that, and sort of went from I can't remember, it might have been eight houses or so. Sort of when I got involved, and eventually ended up doing sort of 40, 40 45 houses. Oh, wow! Um, but a, a big part of it was just providing a bit of confidence and and finances. Um, to help um, build a team that can help look after all that. Yeah. So we built up a bit of an overhead structure that enabled the design process and the, and the construction process to be looked after, um, which was good. Um, I, the partner I had in there was, um, as I say, very entrepreneurial, great with design, um, had a building background, and but trying to cover too many bases. So the whole concept of moving from being the the hub of the the anthem wheel to being just one of the spokes. Um, so that wasn't all reliant on, on him. Um, was pretty important. Yeah, and we managed. I think we managed to do that reasonably well. Um, probably he, he needed a bit of. You know, he was a bit like me in terms of covered off a lot of bases. Um, probably not that disciplined in terms of structure. So a few years, probably four years ago, four or five years ago, I brought another, another person I knew. Um, who'd been a senior manager at Fonterra, who was very good in the structure space. And um, he came on board to work alongside. And um, between the, the two of them, they sort of, um, the job was to you know, have the entrepreneurial skills and have the structure mm. and um, and deliver houses. So houses are quite different to commercial. Yeah. So housing is more of an emotional sort of decision yep. and often it's people's individual biggest assets they're dealing with. Mm. Um, whereas commercial, it's, it is generally a business decision. Uh, it either stacks up or it doesn't. You, know, you get finance, you get equity in finance, or you haven't. Um, so they are quite two quite different businesses, even though they both involve hitting nails in. Probably, um, un- unfortunately, it's probably the original person um, had a few. We, we had a bit of a falling out, unfortunately. So it's really around that um, the disciplines from from my perspective around getting things resolved properly. Um, particularly with clients, so that um, what was passed down to the rest of the team to deliver um, was fully resolved and could be um, delivered properly. There's always there's always quite a lot of stress within Anthem Homes because of that. So we um, ag- agreed um, beginning of last year that we'd buy myself and um, the second person I brought on, um, Doe, would um, would buy the original partner out. And um, sort of last year was a journey of sort of getting things back into shape you know, giving mm. it some real discipline and structure, and and this year, although we've had COVID, um, this year is really seeing the fruits of of having really good structure, mm. um, really good process in place, and um, people who know exactly what they're doing within Anthem. Um, so we've gone from a team, you know, delivering about forty five houses with a team of eighteen people, and a, a gross margin at the time, which was sort of about seven percent, which is way too tight for a construction company, to delivering about thirty five houses with ten people. And a margin more than double of that, um, wow. and and a whole lot of happy clients and happy staff. 
Mm. So again, one of the reasons for making the decision was about how do you, you know, was because I actually cared about the people, the team that worked there, and wanted you know, how do you reduce this amount of stress in places. And to be fair, building is a pretty tough game. It's yeah. actually quite a stressful game, whether it's residential or commercial. Um, people have got different expectations. But um, I'm, I'm really delighted that we're, you know, Anthem's now in a place where actually everyone enjoys being there. And we've got so many happy clients going through. Things are, are nice and resolved and um, and profitable as well. So it's actually a whole lot more long-term sustainable. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting for sure. Like around the fact that, because that team is so critical. The team is mission critical. And I'd be interested to know what do you, what are the characteristics you look for when you're creating a good team? Because it's something I've seen you do, not just an anthem, but also in Fosters. Yeah. And it seems to be something that you actually you're quite good at. And so, and I can say it's okay, <laughs> even if you wouldn't. It's going. I love to know what are the things you look for when you create those teams. Yeah. Um. Well, probably is, is people who get the purpose, who understand purpose. Um, anyone, anyone can do the job. Um, generally, you know, most people, you got to be competent at your job is sort of your baseline. You gotta, sorry, you got to be competent at your job, which is the baseline. Um, but people who understand culture and, and purpose. So for fosters, actually, do they understand what great communities are mm. and how they, how what they are doing? You know, whether it's doing the accounts or quantity surveying or project managing or as an apprentice. Or in the engineering workshop, to understand how the job they do contributes to us creating great communities. So for me, that's that's really important. Um, probably the main thing for me, I've particularly over recent years, is having teachable people, um, mm. and I need to be teachable as well. Yeah. Um, but people who aren't teachable, I find I actually find really really challenging. You know, people who who know it or or who won't listen. Um, as opposed to people who are, who are prepared to stop and reflect, take things on board and actually change their behaviours in certain ways. Um, hard to do if you don't self-reflect too. Very hard to do if you don't self-reflect. Yeah. Um, building teams. Probably working out, you know, working out with people what are their strengths and trying to try to play to their strengths and um, and put together people whose who strengths and weaknesses Marry up. It's not, you know, it's not rocket rocket science to a degree, but probably the most important thing is people who, you know, are willing to learn, but also value other people as well and other people's contribution. Mm, yeah. mm, that's really good, really good and interesting. I can, I'm sure, as many young professions would love to be on those teams because that's those things, that's the opportunities that are created. And like, as we've heard in every single podcast I've done, it's all about people. Like every single one have gone actually, oh, yeah, there was this awesome person I had who did this or this. Oh, I've been in this great team. And it seems to be a core thing of actually that learning attitude, working really hard at it and actually seeing it, that overall purpose, like you're saying, that legacy mindset you've been mentioning. Yeah. It's really good. I have a question I'd love to ask you, and that is what is the best piece of advice that you have been given? It was probably that one that I've referred to earlier from um, from Bruce Sheridan, um, where he said that um, money follows doing business well, so focus on doing business well. 
So for me, that that means money doesn't become the target, but money becomes the barometer of how well you do business. Mm. And I guess that's probably the in terms of Fosters, that's probably what I'm, I'm most proud of. In terms of so Fosters, you know, when I took over took over it, you know, we we just had Foster Construction, and the previous financial year we turned over twenty eight million dollars. Um, in twenty twenty, we've now got the four business units, the Foster Develop, the um, Foster Construction, Foster Maintain, and um, Foster Engineering. And as a, as a group, we've turned over about $175 million. Oh, wow. um, and as well as that, the, you know, the margins have increased. And it's you know, maybe it's a little bit to do with the market, but I, I hope I hope there's a part of there that says actually, you know what, we're actually doing business well. And by, by doing business well, we've become more profitable. Mm. Probably... Um, Another part is, in, is, I think, being generous. Mm. So, you know, make sure you've been told, and this is probably more of a, a spiritual thing again, but um, as, as you sow and as you're generous into others, it'll, it'll come back to you. And I'm not a great person in terms of reaping and sowing type mentality in terms of just for dollars, but actually I do believe if you, if you sow well, you will reap well. Yeah. So it fosters, you know, as part of changing our, our purpose to great communities through strong foundations, we actually moved twenty percent of the company into a charitable trust, mm. and whose sole purpose is to support our community, with the view that if we are generous into our community, our community will support us, which means we can be generous into our community, mm. which means our community will support us. Yeah. <laughs> so it becomes a bit of a, a virtuous cycle. So probably that whole area of generosity is a pretty important part of fosters too. And, and also gives our team a lot of purpose. So one of the things, for example, in that trust that we do is every staff member within Fosters, and we've got about 180 staff, so every staff member gets 500 bucks a year to um, support something within their community that's important to them. And today I've signed off about 12 of those, just, just seems to have been a run, mm. the last couple of days for a variety of things. Um, eight of those were related to one of our employees who's actually been unwell but he's doing the um, so, um, pedal for prostate um, cancer and eight of our employees are sponsoring that mm. as part of that course. So that's an important part of their community. Right. We've supported you know, primary schools, um, supported sports teams, supported kindergartens, supported um, um, Alzheimer's because it's important to someone's family, um, supported um, the antenatal unit up at the hospital um, where the prems, prem babies are. So all these things are actually, these are all part of our community and you learn a lot of things about people by what they support. Yeah, for sure. And totally brings that culture, which most companies just have it on the wall, but actually to life and yep. in action. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So is that the momentum Waikato? Yeah, it's, 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 probably, it's probably me applying some momentum principles into, into Foster's. So I was, I was part of Momentum from 2013, so I was one of the founding trustees of that. Um, it was a vision out of um, Mark Engel, who's someone I, I certainly respect a lot, um, who was the chair of Well Energy Trust, um, who established Momentum and got it up and going. Um, and it took us a very while to work out who we were, but we, you know, we are definitely, Momentum Waikato is a community foundation and it's been established um, to make the Waikato a better place. So its purpose is a better Waikato for everyone, forever. Mm. And you do that by investing into people, investing into projects um, that make 
the Waikato better. So things like the Waikato Regional Theatre that diligently working on, um, and there's you know Kapai Kai, um, the Puno River Care, some pretty significant projects that are transforming our region. A lot of them no one sees, but they you know, they provide employment, um, they provide inspiration, um, and yes, yeah, some pretty pretty cool stuff. Mm. But momentum's really built on the shoulders of generosity. It, won't, it doesn't exist without generous people. And that's probably what I've learned from being involved in momentum is how important generosity is to a community. Mm. I love that because that's just all this you're talking about, like loving people and actually being genera- generous. What was that word? <laughs> um, generous is that it comes back to your why, I guess. Coming back to your faith and all of that and real key parts of your career. Um, looking ahead then, for young professionals and those uni students who are about to graduate and get ready and all that, is there any bit of advice you'd love to give them? Yeah, so just a bit of context. I'm, I'm married and I've got three boys and my oldest boys, same age as you, Kathan. I don't know if you know I'm married. <laughs> um, I've been good friends for a number of years. Um, my life didn't journey as I thought it would when I was at school. I've thought I'd sort of go to university and then I would go overseas and do a big OE and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I ended up, as I say, working at KPMG because I got the careers advisor sort of picked me as an accounting person as opposed to a career run. Um, I got married at 20 and then we were going to sort of, I was going to become a chartered accountant and go overseas and do my OE. And then we, after a year of being married, we had my first child. <laughs> <laughs> so I was 21 when I had um, when I had Barrack, which certainly wasn't the game plan. And, but um, sort of, so I, well, I might have had big strategies and ideas. It didn't go anywhere near as planned. Mm. Um, but it's been it's such a blessing. Now, and as I look back, I sort of see that there's a the path I've taken is one that hasn't been. All my other friends did, which went overseas. I didn't have that, um, but I haven't missed out at all. Mm. Um, and actually, I'm I'm pretty blessed to be here. I did go through a period of time when I you know, I actually wanted to be after being KPMG, I wanted to be a merchant banker. So I did go through <laughs> a period of time where I and this is probably only seven or eight years ago. I thought actually I wouldn't mind going off and trying something a bit different. And I was like, do I, do I need to go over to you know, Sydney or? New York or London to, you know, I want to, want to exercise my brain and I want to see how far I can go and stretch myself and what have you. Um, and I wrestled that with that for a few years, but then I actually came to the conclusion that actually I've got a, a pretty good life here and I can actually make a pretty cool com- contribution to my community. I just need to be, I just need to be satisfied with what I have. Mm. I know it's a little bit countercultural to say that, yeah. but I'm satisfied with the community that I'm in, you know, I'm, I'm a part of here, the relationships that I've got and, and, Sort of, I just need to knuckle down and just do, you know, do my best to contribute, mm. um, do my best to enjoy my family and enjoy my friends that I have here. And I'm actually quite content within myself that I'm I'm going to live my life here in, in Hamilton, and I'm probably I'm going to die here in Hamilton. Um, and I'm I'm hoping that in my older years I'll be able to drive through the streets and just have a sense of satisfaction that I've made a contribution. Mm. And that I've you know I've been a part of a few things like the field days, it's on the strategic assets committee there, and on the Hamilton Gardens Development Trust, which is a pretty pretty cool thing there. And obviously been very involved in church and, and outreaches and 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 different things like prison care fellowship and and these these are all good things that help shape our community. Mm. Um 
so yes, so in terms of the future, I, I used to have big bold plans of going over to London or New York to sort of you know work in merchant banks and be the best that I can be to reach for the stars and and what have you. But I've learned that actually I'm I'm more than content to understand my community and understand my role in my community and just do my best to contribute towards it. Mm. I think a good way to sum that up is just you're living for a little bit less of yourself. A bit more for the others around you. Well, that sounds really philanthropic and thinking, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll own it. Thanks, Gaithan. Mm. <laughs> it is that focus, though, truly. And I think that's really good for all of us is that thing of actually your life isn't just about you, I guess, and they're actually going and seeing the importance of giving back and mm-hmm. being generous and actually making that intentional step of going, how can I contribute? How can I make it better? For sure. Yep. Any final thoughts you'd like to say? Um, oh, look, everyone's, everyone's journey's different to work out. Just encourage you just to don't, if things don't go the way you plan, don't get upset. Mm. Just sort of just recast your eyes and, and keep looking ahead and reflect on what's, you know, reflect on the past, but don't dwell on the past. Mm. Sort of keep, keep looking forward and keep looking how you can contribute. Um, I probably... I've moved from being really focused on trying to build up wealth and all that sort of stuff, which every young person wants to do, Kathan. But um, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where I, I did find that as soon as I took my eyes off that being the focus, things actually transformed. Mm. And um, it's and now I'm wealthier now, <laughs> and now in, in many more ways, probably because I'm not focusing on dollars. Um, but... Only other, other final thought is all the best with your podcast, Gaithan, and congratulations for your success as well. So far to date, and you'll go a long way. You're a good young man. Oh, thanks so much. It was a pleasure to have you on. See you later. Ciao. I love being a part of the Story Hub. It's so awesome to hear about Leonard's journey. We do our best to find different stories so we really challenge our assumptions of what's possible so we can dream bigger than before. So thank you, Leonard, for showing what can happen when you really invest into your local community and how to have a challenging and satisfying career along the way. I say this, but listeners, please pause and notice how vastly different it is from other stories. Leonard has been based in Hamilton for his entire professional career, and yet he is so impactful. Maybe we don't need to get so caught up in thinking that working overseas is a must. There are many paths that lead to success. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, please share it with those who can really benefit from listening. Let's get the Story Hub out there so more people can be inspired and live smarter. Next week, we'll hear from Jeff McLucky, who I had the privilege of working with during my KPMG strategy internship in the summer of 2019 and 2020. Jeff is one of the most down-to-earth guys I know, and I'm really looking forward to sharing with you his wisdom from his experience in tech consulting and exploring how to overcome imposter syndrome. For those who can remember, Celia Austin from episode one, season one, was also a tech consultant, but with an art history degree. Jeff's journey couldn't be more different as he shares about his meteoric rise in the IT industry and dealing with performance addiction, which is just so common in the industry. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you next week. Until then, hide it up.